Cool. You, you, you are now to 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 radio. radio. Okay. Um, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, my name is Babaji Darayon, and here with me is Bobby Odunsi. Hi, Bobby. How do you do? Hi, how are you? Thanks very for nice. having me. Thank you very much for honoring our visit. No, thank you. It's my uh, pleasure. Great. So I'm just going to make a quick introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, Ms. Bobby Odunsi is the MD of Amazon Farms and Outlets, a multi-billionaire vertically integrated commercial farm project in Nigeria. It is Lagos... First city farm market offering organic, fresh farm, healthy produce seven days a week. Well, before then, she was the practice manager for Heart Square in the UK between August and October 2017. Prior to that, she was the senior legislative lead at the Nigeria National Assembly between September 2011 and June 2015. This is after being the head of business transformation and process improvement at EDIC Insurance Limited in February 2009 and August 2011. She's a graduate of Cardiff University where she obtained a degree in language and communications. Today, we're talking about challenges and opportunities of farm logistics in Nigeria. Please join me to welcome Ms. Bobby Odunsi on the periodic talk session brought to you by AgriSquare, the largest community of farmers in Africa and AgriRadio, a broadcast program passionate about farming right here in the studio. Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you, you much. for having me. Thanks for the introduction. Awesome. Okay, so for as many as people don't know, AgriSquare is the largest community of farmers in Africa. It's a platform with over 25,000 active users who play a part in the agricultural value chain across the continent. As some would call it the narrow land of agriculture, it is being a knowledge repository for SMEs, business owners, farmers, students, lecturers, ministries, NGOs, and entrepreneurs. While this session is over live over a Zoom, over on Zoom, we'll um, we'll be happy to accommodate questions from those who have joined in. Simply drop them in the comments section, and once it's time to have them, we'll happily read them out for our special guest to answer. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Works. Okay. So here we go. Um, hello. Again, <laughs> for the open time. Again. All right. Okay. So, real quick, I'm just gonna have ask. You've had quite a remarkable career. Oh, thank you. Especially in the legal sector. Mm-hmm. Your academic background and work experience is simply remarkable. Oh, what thanks. made you decide to switch to agriculture? Okay, that's an interesting question. I didn't actually switch to agriculture. <laughs> uh, n- not in the not in that sense. Uh, not in the sense that probably most people would be thinking. Um, as you, as you mentioned before, my main uh, area of specialization is project management, and within that, it's process improvement and business transformation. Um, I joined Amazon Farms from that perspective mm. to look at the business and look at ways we can transform it and also look at the processes and look at how we can uh, re-engineer those processes for for to, to be as effective as we could be. Um, and so it just so happened that Amazon Farms is an agricultural-based business. Uh, and also, uh, after working there for, for three years, now I have developed a passion for <laughs> agriculture myself and um, 
So it so it's, it wasn't really a career switch, more like a, a, a change in sector. So I just happened to be a project manager who is the MD of, a, of an agri-based company. Yes. But when you were approached, were you not shocked? Like, okay, of all people to have met, why me? Why did you choose me? No, interesting enough, they, they didn't approach me. I approached them. Oh. Uh, and I approached them from that particular perspective, which was that I saw it as a very viable business. And at the point where I approached them, they hadn't really looked at optimizing the commercial viability of their business. Uh, and so I came from that perspective, which was looking at the business from the outside critically and seeing that there were ways that we could optimize operations and, and, and be more profitable. So it was I was the one who went with them with the proposition and they and they believed in it and then you know that's that's, that's the rest of history. Of yeah, that's the rest <laughs> of history. Yeah. All right, one would see the amazing works going on with Amazon farms mm-hmm. with outlets springing up <laughs> and strategic spots uh, spots all around Lagos. Yes. This could be attributed to the fact that many Nigerians are becoming health conscious. Hence, the brick prospect for fresh and organic farm produce. Yes. As an entrepreneur, in what areas would you regard as the bottlenecks and pains of managing such a business? So I didn't get that. As the what did you say? As an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. or as a business manager, or as the MD. Mm-hmm. In what areas would you regard as the bottlenecks or pain of managing such a business? Um. Honestly, I wouldn't say that there are bottlenecks. With everything, there is a challenge, and I suppose with my training as well, I see every challenge as an opportunity to to optimize. Uh, obviously, there's the there's the local pressure. Uh, there's the local. Um, Metrics, metri- metrics <laughs> <laughs> that we can't avoid, which is that our operating uh, system is possibly not the most conducive for any sort of emerging business to grow. Um, so there is the local issues, uh, and mostly they're concentrated around my supply chain. Uh, Amazon Farms initially set off just to uh, sell their own produce. Uh, our aim was to, to sell straight from the farm to the store right to the consumer's table. But then uh, we opened just three months, uh, I'm sorry, three weeks before the pandemic hit. So we really didn't have time to have fully embedded ourselves and um, built brand equity. Um, And so obviously at the very cusp of the, of the, of that of the pandemic when we opened it was obvious that we couldn't meet supply or we couldn't meet demand our supply just couldn't meet up with the the uh, vast amounts of demand that we were getting every day so we needed to uh, form strategic partnerships and alliances with other neighboring farmers and producers of long life products packaged products um so for me the 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 obstacle or the, the challenge was with that was sourcing these people um there is no portal to find out where to meet the right people to supply you with specific products. So there is no portal that I can log into and see who are all the suppliers for organic tomatoes in Nigeria. Or there is no portal that will tell me who, where, where, where can I find packaged milk in Nigeria? Who are the main competitors or who are the main uh, participants in that space? So it was, for me, that was probably the, the biggest obstacle at the beginning of the business was finding the right people to partner with. And then also testing the viability of these suppliers. Uh, there is the NAFDAQ issue. So, because a lot of people who are just breaking or emerging into the markets do not have NAFDAQ numbers. So, that level of uh, va- validation is already out of the window. Uh, so, it was really, really hard to 
determine who was viable and who wasn't, uh, who were the right people to speak with. And then also there was the logistics as well, trying to get that. So it's one thing to have the products, it's another thing to get the products to the consumers because, as you know, people couldn't uh, come into the stores. So it was finding the right logistics partners. And even at the, uh, you know, even after finding logistics partners, they were also facing their own challenges to their industry, which was getting around. Yeah. I mean, I can't tell you the number of logistics drivers that we had put uh, merchandise bought by us uh, a customer on their bikes and before even getting to the customers they've been vandalized or even have the same state institution stopping them along the road saying you don't have this license you don't have radio tax on your bike <laughs> and stuff like that. random stuff like that so those were the two main obstacles i think for amazon farms i can't speak to everybody's uh, specific situations you know my my site is limited <laughs> with that but i can say that for amazon farms those were the main obstacles we faced as a business when we were starting up um, the ease of doing business mm. is there really any ease of doing any business <laughs> <laughs> that's such a loaded question oh my god <laughs> uh, you create your own ease mm. um, I do not think the powers that be make it a conducive environment for people especially startups it's pretty harsh and so you have to be your own power generator you have to be your own supplier of water you have to you, there's you know even in our education system you have graduates coming to you for jobs you still have to train them from scratch almost as though they never even you know, <laughs> know went to school, school at all <laughs> so uh, the ease of business unfortunately is not provided by anybody but yourself and if you really want to be competitive and you really want to uh, reach your goals you have to be able to put in yourself and amazon farms we're pretty committed to building our people and building our own supporting infrastructure of course it would be very very nice to have support <laughs> from the government and from the powers that be um and i'm sure they have their own limitations as well i don't want to speak to the specifics of their own situations i don't know what uh, obstacles that they're facing but for us we have tried as much as possible in, a, in an economical way as we can to create the ease that we need to make sure that we're meeting the objectives of our business mm, fascinating mm. okay so we once had a guest here on this series and we had to ask if agriculture in general was profitable right yeah we even went ahead to tease him that <laughs> we've had big fmcgs use popular faces as brand ambassadors yes uh, but it's not like a norm for this kind of business that we do yeah right uh well not until we realize that amazon farms was part of the segment <laughs> sponsor <Yes. laughs> for the most recent big brother tv show oh of course that was, yeah, <laughs> yeah that was huge right that was fantastic <laughs> we were really proud of that did, did, they any, did they move any needle for you as far oh, back? Oh, absolutely. Though? In they terms did. of brand visibility. Plus, it was just fun for our staff. Today. It was a great experience, <laughs> I think, for the housemates and for us. It was just nice to get out there. And it was just a bit of fun. I mean, yeah, yeah. it was good. That was, was that the biggest ever marketing spend you've done? Probably, yes. Mm, but it was yeah. worth it, do? It was 100% worth it. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, do you at some point see organic business owners have businesses acquired by foreign brands or listed on the floors of Nigerian stock exchange? Nigerian made organic brands. Yes. Is that what you're saying? Do yes. I see the possibility? 100%. Okay. I mean, it took this pandemic for me to see just how creative some of the Nigerian brands are and how they can compete at a world-class level. Unfortunately, it's so saddening to see that a lot of them do not, do not have enough sort of funding or the right marketing infrastructure put in place to allow them to attain those uh, levels of exposure and um, 
acceptance because I have seen, I mean, I don't want to mention any names, but there, I mean, a few brands off the top of my head. There is a brand who produces pasta, organic pasta in Nigeria, Al Dente. They are fantastic. Uh, there is another brand who produces juices, uh, a lemonade. Um, and there is even a local palm wine mm. uh, that is bottled that is fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, even in terms of nuts and seeds and pulses, uh, organic rice, organic um, soy milk. I mean, the possibilities are endless. I don't see why we cannot compete at an at a international level. Plus, the packaging is superb. Nigerians are very, very creative. And the finishing is... Sometimes you put a, a foreign brand next to a local one, you really cannot tell the difference. And when you taste it, it actually tastes better locally because they're sourcing their stuff locally. A lot of these organic brands in, in, the, in the abroad <laughs> are actually sourcing their... Their out uh, their input from okay. Nigeria okay. from other African countries. So by the time it gets to them, a lot of the nutrients or whatever is even is lost in transit. And the fact that we're producing these things locally and the raw materials are available locally, I would absolutely buy a local product over an international product yeah. any day. And I didn't know this until I started <laughs> to run Amazon Farms, but we have fantastic stuff here. Interesting. Why do you think government do not support? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm putting you on the spot here. My no, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the reason why I ask you so is, mm. is it because of the fact that um, we're impatient? What, or the Nigerian the, government or us? Um, entrepreneurs, basically. <laughs> Nigerian. No, so, so this is the thing about it. Um, it's hard, really hard for you to see um, mm. one of these businesses last beyond 10 years, for instance. Mm-hmm. Right. And so is it because um, they're impatient? Is it because <laughs> the returns is too... What exactly is the problem? I'll tell you something on behalf of every Nigerian sort of <laughs> manufacturer that I know of, which I'm not one, but I know quite a few. If there is one thing that a Nigerian entrepreneur has is patience mm. and forbearing and long-suffering. I don't think anybody could ever accuse a Nigerian in general of not being patient. We've been patient... Uh, for over, I don't know how old is Nigerian, well over 60 years. I think patience is more than a virtue for the average Nigerian. And I think as a producer in Nigeria, your patience is tested beyond the point where you can economically survive it. So I don't think it is a, a lack of uh, perseverance or patience. It's just your perseverance is stretched to the point where, I mean, you cannot survive anymore mm. and it gets to a point where you've invested all of yourself all of your family's funds you've got and begged every uncle and auntie you know and put everything into that business and at some point you need to know when to just pull out of a business and i think that has been unfortunately the story of quite a lot of brands that you see and you think oh my god this is gonna really blow and this is gonna you know the potential for this product is huge and then maybe six or seven years later you see the person and you're like oh my god i don't see your products on the shelves anymore what happened and they tell you their story usually you just realize that man if i were you i wouldn't even have lasted this long so i don't think i don't think it's fair to say that it's impatience and i don't know to, to the question you were alluding to as to why the government um isn't helping or haven't helped yeah. again it's really hard to speak to the specifics <laughs> because as somebody who's worked in government before i can tell you that there's a lot of government agencies who are willing to do the work um a friend of mine works in an agency in uh, in one of the northern states as a 
and she's heading up an agency that's looking at local resources and helping them find international channels for their products, local farmers of nuts and seeds and share butter. And she's trying to find packaging and um, not so much funding because the state is funding a lot of it, uh, but trying to get them into an international market. And you'll be surprised at the barriers that she's facing. So I don't think it's fair to say the government isn't trying because I know that a lot of these agencies have been set up. As to why it's not happening, maybe there is a level above government that none of us <laughs> know about. <laughs> maybe right. there is a level above them. But honestly, I think it's a very loaded question. I don't even have the answer to that. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, let us move to the meat of this conversation oh, where fantastic. we talk about logistics, right? Okay. Okay. So talking logistics now at the micro level, mm-hmm. would it be safe to say that Amazon farms are into at some point ever considered the supermarket supply chain to make sales? Um... When you say supermarket supply chains, do you mean? Sorry, I just need some clarity on that question. Are you saying, have we? Did we start of thinking we were going to be in deliveries? Exactly. Like. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. That's a, no, no, but that's a very, very interesting question. You see, in, in identifying the path of uh, the path to purchase for our consumers, um, it was very easy for us to assume that people wanted a physical location, mm. and it was an it was a safe assumption to make before 2020 that most people wanted a say uh for their customer experience to be uh 3d okay and to walk into the store and see feel and smell what your products are before you buy them um but with the advent of covid19 we found that we had to be a little bit more dynamic in our approach and if the customers can't come to you you have to go to them um, so the physical retail, you find that a lot of companies are, are going through a process of shrinkage in terms of their square footage. And so they're trying to be more purposeful with the use of their spaces. And so for us, we are, because even in the design of our store, in the design of our operations, we've always tried to be modular about stuff. So we need to be able to flex our stores in such a way that from the front end to the from the front uh, front end to the back end, we can modulate the stores to meet the the needs of our consumers. When COVID-19 hit, we then had to remodulate our stores so that it was more uh, suited for dispatch and deliveries. So for the ease of um, transactions for our uh, merchandisers who we're bagging and and sending our products to our customers. Um, It became very obvious very quickly that um, we needed to find ways of diversifying um, because it's we never really started off thinking we were going to do deliveries. I think we thought we would be split 80-20. So 80% of the people would be walk-ins and 20% of them would be people who were just ordered. So we didn't even have the supporting infrastructure. We didn't have an online delivery service. It was just people who would call and say, can you actually deliver it? We would do so. But when the pandemic hit, we literally switched. So it was 2080. The few people who would go on walks along Aruloa Road would stop and shop. And people who stop and shop are more purposeful. So the basket sizes would be bigger because you're only out for, say, 30 minutes a day. You want to do your shopping. And then we also found that with the 80% of the people that were actually then ordering online, uh, people were shopping in larger quantities um, and more frequently. So the basket sizes were bigger. So we couldn't just have somebody 
take a car and go do deliveries. And the volumes that we were receiving were so um, were beyond what we had expected. Mm-hmm. So we then had to involve the logistics of, of doing this. And at the time, I think we worked with four or five different logistics companies. Oh, wow. um, yes, because we found that not, no one company had the capacity to deal with the volumes that we were dealing with, which again really raises the question of how prepared we were or how prepared the logistics companies were for such an, for such an eventuality. So for us, it was imperative that we spread our... our uh, business, ac- yeah, exactly. Right. Across, um, and because our, our our footprint was pretty much across Lagos, so we weren't just servicing the island, but we were also servicing the mainland. We had some logistics companies who would say, "Oh, we only do mainland deliveries," and mm-hmm. some would say, "We only do <laughs> island deliveries." So we had to spread our footprint as wide as our, our customers were. So uh, at that point, we realized that. Um, a lot of the logistics companies also weren't trained for food handling, um, which again was a very, I don't like calling them companies. <laughs> it was a challenge for us. It was a challenge for us and it was a challenge for the logistics companies themselves because they were used to delivering packages. So in the very beginning, you would have people say my bread was delivered and it was squashed, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is funny now, but it wasn't funny for someone who was waiting for a loaf of bread. Exactly. And like a pancake. Uh, yeah. So they weren't trained for food handling and they weren't trained, especially for cold food. So chicken, and you know that the process of deterioration for chicken and meat is pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so we had to engage those logistics companies uh, to say, listen, if you're going to continue to deliver for us, you're going to have to meet uh, <laughs> <neat> up. <laughs> and then we also then, it was incumbent upon us because we couldn't just rely on them to do the adequate training. We also had to do our own training mm. with the handlers in-house. So in terms of logistics, like I said before, obviously it was a very major challenge for us and it continues to be because, I mean, even though the lockdown is done, COVID still exists mm-hmm. <laughs> and people are still very, very conscious about um, how their food is handled. Uh, and, you know, we're partnered with another company now who has a better understanding of how food needs to be handled safely and securely uh, in light of COVID-19. Are there specialty in this field or they have I don't know sp- of anybody <laughs> who is specialized. So if you're out there looking for a muscle, <laughs> that is a very viable one. Um, no, I don't, unless I don't know. Again, like I said, my, my limit and my purview is very limited. I don't, I can't speak to everybody and maybe... Again, like I said, there is no portal for these things. There is nowhere that I can click and find all this information. Uh, if there was, it maybe it would make our lives a lot easier. But um, no, I don't know of anybody who is specialized in 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 the in the fast and effective delivery of food for third parties. Interesting. Yes, it's my that is my opinion. But again, I am very open to being disproved. I would be happily disproved. But during the period when you were approaching supermarkets, were they being rece- receptive to having you as another um, third-party merchant? Uh, other supermarkets? Yes. It would interest you to know that we've never done that. Why? <laughs> because like I said, when we opened, uh, we didn't even have time to really embed ourselves in the business. We were open for three weeks and then the <laughs> pandemic hit. So this was all part of our strategy initially. It was to up our farm game so that our produce would not just be available at Amazon farms, but across all supermarkets across the nation. But because there was a lockdown, 
even our farming operations was at a standstill to a large extent. Obviously, our field crops continue to uh, to to grow, <laughs> and uh, our chickens obviously continue to be fed and <laughs> stuff like that. But we couldn't expand the way right. that we wanted to. It is still in our plans. Uh, we've been open a year now. Okay. And uh, the pandemic, the I think with the pandemic, with the lockdown ease, and you know, people now a little bit more open to conversations and collaborations. Now is the time that we're looking to approach people to other supermarkets and vendors to so that we can then become a vendor. Because at the moment we have a lot of vendors, but we also want to be a vendor to to other stores. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. Okay, so once more, I can see a lot of people already joining us on oh, okay. um, on, on Zoom. Um, okay. If you have any questions, please feel free to drop them. I'm sure she will be picking them up when the time for questions okay. come. Okay. All right, so I'm going to ask uh, my next question now real mm-hmm. quick. Um, groceries and farm produce at the level of B2C comes about with a very slim margin. Yeah. I can be corrected if I'm wrong. No, you're not wrong. All right. So a huge part of success of any business in that regard mm. would rely heavily on word of mouth. Yes. And a loyal customer base. Mm-hmm. How much of this slim margin gets eaten by logistics? <laughs> I mean, we can put a number to it, right? If you would um, make as much as um, 100 naira. Okay, let's just keep it simple, right? Yeah, okay. If you make as much as 100, how, how much of this 100 naira goes into logistics? In the midst of um, paying bills, mm. paying for rent, being profitable, logistics is a—I mean, it's very—it's such a relative question to ask, or because it depends on what the customer <clears throat> depends on the volume of sales. Yes. So, if a basket size is fifty thousand naira, yes, the cost of logistics, regardless, so regardless of where you live. Oh, no, that's not true. If a basket of, of groceries <laughs> is 50,000 naira and yeah. you live in Lekki, okay. <clears throat> the cost of uh, the cost of logistics to, to the business is 1,000 naira. Okay. So when you think about that, it is not a huge cost. But when you also think that basket sizes have shrunk, it would mean also that if you were to buy something for 2,000 naira, your basket, uh, the cost of delivery will still be 1,000 naira. So it's very, very relative. It could be minimal based on volume, or mm-hmm. it could be crushing based on volume. So if volumes are low and basket sizes are dwindling, of course the cost of logistics will rise because they stay standard. Uh, the cost of delivery to Lekki is 1,000 naira. The cost of delivery to the mainland is 1,005. The cost of delivery to Ajar and other axes is 2,000 naira. So for us as a business, and this is standard for all logistics companies, so this is not an Amazon Farms price. This right. is an industry set price. So for us as a business, the bigger we grow, obviously, the less of a, of a burden the cost of logistics becomes. Right. Um, but, you know, it all, it, it all depends on the volumes. Let me, I think that's the safest answer. Okay, so but when you say 1,000 naira as logistics, that's mm-hmm. you using um, proprietary... Um, third parties. Lo- oh, third using parties. third parties. We don't, okay, we oh. don't have a, a, a logistics infrastructure. Oh, well. It's very easy. I think... Uh, then the reason why so? No, because there is a trap in Nigeria sometimes <laughs> where people want to do everything. 
Mm. Even within farming, I find when you speak to a farmer, they want to breed, they want to process, they want to market, and they also want to provide storage. Sometimes I think there is benefits to re- to to f- looking at the value chain and deciding where you want to be in that value chain, and then that way you can be a little bit more profitable. Of course, it would be easy for us to say we want to start our own logistics company or we want to start our own marketing company. We really just want to be this massive silo and work on our own. I don't really think that would make us very effective. What we're good at is what we're good at. And what we're not, we outsource. And we're not a logistics company. So since you say that, what, where does the part of um, diversification play, play For in? For us, yes. should we decide to diversify to yes. logistics? That would require us to look at the business and do projections. And we haven't done that. And I don't think we have any immediate need to do so. But as 2020 again has shown <laughs> us, we should all be open and adaptable exactly, and, yeah. and be ready to to change so i don't know in five years we could be a logistics company who knows but as it is for now it's not something that we're looking to to go into as a business awesome okay since we've mentioned uh, logistics Mm -hmm. um, i think that's where my next question goes into right Mm -hmm. Um, during the infamous scuffle between the northern and southern part of nigeria (laughs) (laughs) oh my god i was gonna go there you wouldn't ask me that question oh dear all yeah. right, so during that infamous scuffle between the northern and mm-hmm. southern part of Nigeria, where mm-hmm. movement of food was restricted as a retaliation <laughs> by the north for disagreeing with the idea of cattle ranching and nomadic farming, okay. it was reported that a basket of tomatoes as a den <laughs> went for about 7,000 naira as against 35,000 naira, mm. and that it would have sold on a, any given day. Mm-hmm. What was worse was the fact that a huge part of this food item went to waste due to the failure to get them across to the buyers. Yes. Right. Okay, so let me ask now, should you have been a mediator? Us as Amazon Farms. No, you <laughs> as Bobby. Oh, me as... Uh, <laughs> should as you have been a mediator? Mm-hmm. Obviously from this side of uh, Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Um, at this, for this type of crisis, what would you have done to make a win-win scenario? What would I have done if I was a mediator? Exactly. Are you trying to get me kidnapped? (laughs) Um, What would I have done to mediate that? I think for me, crisis, I mean, apart from the COVID crisis, which nobody saw coming, (laughs) most things don't just happen overnight. Yes. Most people, it always starts with a rumble. Yes. I don't think that if I was the one mediating or if I was in charge or if I had purview over this said situation, that I would have allowed it to get to the point where they strike. Mm. I think everything, mediation is about communication. And it's about understanding and putting yourself in the position of the other person and first seeking to be understood. I think a lot of these issues could be resolved with effective communication. And I think when there is a lack of communication, things go awry. If I were the one mediating this, I would want to see things from both sides. Mm. And I think that the... I don't want to call them the aggressors in this situation. The people who felt aggrieved, which Mm. were the northerners... I don't know if anybody over time had sat down and actually asked them what their real issues were. Because a lot of these things is economics. Yes, it is. It really is economics. But in an econ- in such an economic situation, there can be a win-win for both parties. And it's just about finding what do you want? It's a simple question. 
that you ask someone. You know, people are fighting sometimes. It's hunger. It's I know because because I'm not sad, now that you mentioned, <laughs> oh, you know, now that you mentioned yeah. it, the funny thing about it is that there've been there've been something uh, there's series of okay, let's negotiate, yes. which is in the form of Ruga, for instance, now right, mm, mm-hmm. and even of this out until recent with this. Um, but a lot of these things are politicized. Do you know? Eventually, because it, it, at the end of the day, it's whoever owns the media, whoever tells the story. Yeah, but then that's why there's a conflict because <laughs> it's, it's not really taking people's opinions and thoughts and their desires into consideration. You're putting everything within a political context yeah. or tribal context or ethnic or religious context. I mean, a lot of these things are just basic economics. What do you want? What can I offer? We want Where to. We? we want to. We want our cows to come and eat. Um, grasses in the west can we just can we provide you with some allocation for this and we don't have the money for it who doesn't have the money for it well we (laughs) (laughs) at some point you're gonna have to compromise I mean, I'm not. I, I'm not saying that I could effectively like negotiate, uh, mediate a, uh, peaceful, uh, <laughs> a peaceful, a peaceful part. end to this. And by all means, I'm not like soliciting for the job of mediator. You sure? I'm no, absolutely. I want to listen out there. Uh, <laughs> absolutely not. But what I'm saying is, with a lot of things, it's about effective communication and taking politics and religion and ethnicity out of it. If you actually communicate with a neutral, because I think sometimes you send people who have vested interests. You need to send in a neutral person. Oh. It's like with a hostage situation, you won't send the, the hostage's mother or father. <laughs> you would send someone who has absolutely no idea of who the two of them are. So you're hearing from the hostage's position and you're also hearing from the abductor's position. So you really are not invested in either one of them. All you're invested in is a peaceful and um, non-violent resolution to the, to the impasse. So if I were the one, because I have... Well, no, I have a vested interest in this, obviously. <laughs> so I would be the wrong person to send. But imagine if I didn't, if I were just uh, Joe Bloggs on the street and you asked me to mediate and I had absolutely no idea who this person or who the the aggressors and the victims were in this said scenario. I would go in with no uh, preconceived ideas of what I want the conflict to end as. So going into it with that neutrality would allow me to listen objectively to both parts. And if it's, a, if it's an economics issue, which most times it is, mm-hmm. it's about finding the middle ground. What can, what can I give and what can I afford? What are you willing to give me in exchange? That, that is just, you know, I'm not a mediator. That's just my uh, common sense approach to it. I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I'm just a farmer. I just give you a chance. To be <laughs> no, 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 no. All right then. Um, okay. So earlier you t- um, spoke about the fact that um, um, I mean you admitted to the fact that you probably don't know if there's a logistics firm out there yes. that would handle your kind of business. Yes. Right. I'm not. I'm sure there are, but I haven't been approached. Neither have I engaged any. Okay. Okay. So let me ask. Why hasn't the like of um, UPS or DHL mm-hmm. ventures into that space. Is it really that challenging? I mean, you know... I mean, we're talking cold room, right? We're talking cold room. Okay. Talking, yeah. It's a very interesting question because one of the things that I'm very passionate about over the last couple of months when this crisis hit was this issue of mass logistics and uh, customer sort of facilitation units right. where, where UPS... I know that UPS are doing something very similar to that, but not in Nigeria, obviously, in other parts of the world. So that, that is really ch- that challenge. Yeah? yeah. The challenge that... The ease with which they do business in other countries <laughs> is not the same in Nigeria. If somebody were to take on board that kind of uh, operation, there are 
massive infrastructural um, investments that would need to take place. Right. For instance, would be a cold room that has huge or immense capacity. But to power a cold room <clears throat> effectively, you need light. <laughs> <laughs> and you need light 24-7. And you need not just light, but affordable light. Business rates, business concessions, tax cuts, none of which I'm sure, I don't know, I could be wrong. Again, I never <laughs> like to speak <laughs> beyond what I know. But as a, as a business environment with which we operate, I've never heard of anybody telling me about special concessions that are given to these businesses. But I imagine that in other countries, they get tax breaks, they get concessions, they get grants, they get funding. Yeah. So that because obviously it's an essential service. Food is an essential service. And if I'm in the, pers I mean, if I'm in the industry that provides an essential service, I would expect some support from my governing powers. So I think if UPS, for instance, were to venture into a, uh, a country like Nigeria, as they always say, great things happen in other countries and it comes to Nigeria. <laughs> 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 but, you know, I reject that. <laughs> I reject that. I mean, Nigeria. Um, I don't believe that, even though evidence contradicts <laughs> me. I still am a firm believer that anything can change. So I think one of the barriers to entry, or one of the reasons I assume that they shy away from this, is the massive uh, financial, <laughs> you know, by the time it's costing, so the cost, the landing costs for them will be so high, only because the cost of actually keeping the stock and getting the stock from A to B, again, if it's a company, if, it's, if, they're, if they're providing this service for someone that has a national footprint, so you have customers in Abuja, you have customers in Sokoto, right. and part of this, process means you're dispatching from a central location it means that your cold room has to be on point apart from your cold room your your vehicles that you used to transport these vehicles uh these products also have to be on point so you only and then you need space and in and you need skilled skilled people you need people who are very knowledgeable in inventory management people you also have to be very tech driven because right. your inventory has to be on point mm. your delivery has to be on point i know in england when i'm tracking food mm -hmm. because you know when my food is coming i keep my <laughs> eye on my phone <laughs> i'm tracking the guy so i can tell i can track my vehicle from point a to point b so mm -hmm. i know you've made four deliveries before me within the locality so i'm assuming okay you're not coming from too far my products are still fresh and then i know you're two minutes away you come to me you deliver i can rate you as a driver i can tell you what my preferences are those things are maybe very difficult to get done in nigeria mm. Because, you know, this is Nigeria. Welcome to Nigeria. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, maybe that is the reason why they have... It would be fantastic if somebody actually did. Again, right. I keep, I'm giving people so many hustle ideas. <laughs> yeah. But it would be so fantastic if somebody could actually get that up and running. Because it, it wouldn't just service Amazon farms. It would service a plethora of other sure. um, supermarkets investors. and investors and farmers because a lot of the problems that farmers has is, 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 is the loss of yield. I produce my bananas. I have no way to freeze or keep or, or keep them fresh. And I have this logistics company that can offtake and deliver. It's, it's fantastic business yeah. for me. Yeah. So I think in providing such a service, 
you would be helping not just the supermarkets, but the farmers and also the consumers who want their products to reach them fresh. But I don't know why nobody has done it at the moment. I can only speak for Amazon. Okay, farms. so this is a Clarion Call, right? Yeah. Clarion, I, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I can only speak for my own organization. I don't know what everybody else is doing. So let me ask, how do you, how do you handle irate customers? How do I personally? Uh, irate customers. I mean, how does Amazon, Amazon farms handle irate customers? Or there's never and, been and any. And I, one of my customers will now dial in and say, <laughs> <laughs> you know, me well. <laughs> no. Or what's the process like what to is handle the them? Okay, let me ask that. Okay, I think that's a safer question. Honestly, problems will arise. Right. I think it's inevitable. But as a customer, I don't really care what your problems are. I just want you to get my goods to me. And that is my attitude. Because apart from being a producer, I'm also a very, very difficult customer. For whatever service I, I buy, right. I expect if I'm paying for something, I expect you to give me commensurate value for what I'm paying for. Right. So I can understand why. And our Nigerian, Nigerians know what they want. So I don't know why we don't get the right government. But we know <laughs> what we want. Somehow we don't seem scared. But we're very, very clear about what we want. Right. In Amazon Farms, we had, I think because we started when people were angry, generally. <laughs> <laughs> people were angry, hungry, and stuck at home. So we got very good training with irate customers during the lockdown mm -hmm. because one in five <laughs> was angry. <laughs> yeah. Either because the goods didn't come in time or, you know, like I said in the beginning, we didn't have very, you know, the very, very beginning of the pandemic, a lot of our logistics drivers didn't have the adequate training. So, you know, yeah, things were like, you know, they were doing, <laughs> they were doing too much. So, um, so we had a lot of irate customers, right. I'll be honest, in the very beginning. But this, again, was due to the fact that everybody was under a lot of stress. And, you know, people would send a message in the morning and expect us to respond within 30 minutes, not knowing that there's probably 200 orders before sure. you. But right. then, as a customer, like I keep saying, I don't care that there's 200 customers. Don't, don't give me a phone number <laughs> if you don't want me to call and ask for sure. food. Um, but how we dealt with it was surprisingly by talking to people I keep telling you I'm a master of communicating <laughs> so I believe that no matter how angry somebody is you can talk them off a ledge and a lot of people when they understand I try to take the human approach which is to I try when I know that there's an irate customer on the on the shop floor if any of the uh, merchandisers flags it I will call the customer myself mm. if and I will speak to the customer and I will explain. I'm not one of those people that will give you a line. Oh, currently we're handling 500 calls. <laughs> no, I will tell you, my dear, sorry, you know, our driver is moving a bit mad today. Right. Don't be angry. Okay. Do you get the food is coming? <laughs> like, that's how I, I'm not trying to give you a spill or a, mm. or a line. I'll right. tell you as it is. You know, we're going to wait till you. Somebody just bust the guy's tire. Are you serious? Sorry, don't be angry. Okay, okay. okay and you know the funny thing is, Nigerians are chill. Uh, we put up with a lot. Yes, we do. But the truth is, if you tell us what the issue is, we will actually come around. And I find that even the most hardened of customers, if you approach them in a humane and respectful and honest way, they can understand. Of course, when people, even for, for incidences where like people have been double debited <laughs> from, do you get it? <laughs> Those kind of customers are the angriest. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, oh, you've paid 50K twice. I don't know if that 100K <laughs> is all you had in your accounts. So I don't want to be hearing, sorry, give us 48 hours to speak nah. to the bank. No, my guy, sorry. Let me see what we can do quick, sharp, sharp. People are very, very 
open. Right. So I think the, for Amazon Farms, that is how we approach it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe our customers will call us. Yeah, know. maybe you guys have different customers. <laughs> don't call, don't every customer <laughs> call. But like, uh, we try. That is the training I give my guys, which is, and ladies. Is that be honest? There's no point telling you a story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right, so let, now let's talk about last mile logistics, right? Mm-hmm. For any customer buying farm produce, mm-hmm. fresh meat or organic foods yeah. in Lagos, Nigeria, one thing you do not test them is their strength of patience. I mean, just like we spoke about just yeah. now. One thing that works for businesses in advanced countries are their effective logistics. Yeah. But this is not the case in Nigeria. No. By how much would you recommend third-party logistic companies to step in and solve this problem considering the fact that they become the brand representation to the receiving customers? Yes, okay, this is very, very key. It's a very, very, like, clever question. Now, my God, that's actually an ingenious <laughs> question. Are you really like, I wasn't, I never expected that. Um, what I always say to my logistics partners when they come is, your guys don't go out. You know, a lot of logistics companies want to promote their brand. You can't sure. deliver for me and be wearing your brand uniform. <laughs> as much as possible, we want to not because we want to promote our own brand but we want to show continuity in the chain for our customers so if you order from amazon farms and boss arrives at your house uh-huh. you're gonna be like in the days of covid i'm not sure where you're bringing that from your village exactly. i ain't touching that food Do you exactly. get? so for us I always like a continuity for our customers to know that this food, the chain is that you can trace the chain. So it's come from us. But like I said, Amazon Farms is not at the present moment looking to go into food logistics. But what I would advise somebody who wanted to go into this business was, first of all, do your homework. And then understand that you're going to be representing the brand that you are delivering for. If you're delivering for multiple brands, it's a completely different story. Because obviously you can't have patchwork t-shirts with everybody's <laughs> logos on it. Yeah. So that is a different sort of uh, scenario. But in a scenario where your delivery is for one specific company, you should understand that you're representing them and in representing their chain sure. of safety. So... Um, Investment in your people, investment in your logist, in your logistics infrastructure, which is your motorbikes and your vans, cooling vehicles, and stuff like that, is very, very, very important. And in doing so, you must understand that uh, any breakdown in your operation becomes a breakdown in theirs. So, if your motorcycle breaks down on Third Mainland Bridge. It has no detrimental effect on your business beyond the fact that I may not pay you for that particular journey. But the brand, that the damage it does to my brand, I cannot quantify it to you. I cannot take out of your pay mm. the loss to my brand. Sure. So in engaging a third party, so let me speak for myself as Amazon Farms. If a company came to me and said to me, this is my specialty, you know, we deliver food. This is our cooling vehicle. This is our bike that has like a cooler box at the top these are our guys they're wearing like inspector gadget t-shirts and stuff like you know they're, they're our guys are <laughs> on point these are whilst i might be impressed outwardly i would want to dig deeper and let and find out if they have an understanding of how much their operations would affect mine okay. so it wouldn't just be like me jumping into bed with the person it would essentially take a long it would take a, a process of in uh, of building trust 
Um, so it's important if you're going into this field to understand that it is a trust, it's a business of trust and um, you have to invest quite a lot in ensuring that that trust is not um, compromised. Distorted, compromised in any way. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Um, mm. So for many that do not know, um, this is talk session with Bobby Odusi. She is the MD of Amazon Farms. Mm-hmm. Um, Amazon Farms is um, it's one of the biggest um, agricultural business here that sells um, organic foods here in Lagos, Nigeria. <laughs> Not only in Lagos, though. Expanding. Well, <laughs> you know, things are on the horizon, but you oh. know, for now, our footprint is in Lagos, mainland and the island. Okay. But we may, I don't know. Okay, okay, mm-hmm. okay. I hope you guys can read between the lines, though. Oh, I don't, don't you? <laughs> I'm just, you know, <laughs> this is where we are for now. <laughs> All right, for as many that don't know, AgriSquare is one of the is the largest um, community of farmers in Africa. It's a platform that with over 25,000 active users will play a part in the agricultural um, value chain across the continent. As some would call it, it's the Naira land of agriculture. And <laughs> it's been a knowledge of repository for SMEs, business owners, farmers, students, lecturers, ministries, NGOs, and entrepreneurs. Uh, while the session is over, is live over on Zoom, we'll um, be happy to accommodate questions. Please keep those questions coming in and we'll ask uh, those questions after um, our question sessions here. Right, um, so my next question, right, will be, um, so let's see. Um, we once had a guest here mm-hmm. on this series and we had to ask if agriculture in general was profitable. Yeah. Um, okay. Sorry, excuse me. Um, okay, yeah. So every now and then, they've been we've seen farmers out of Lagos mm-hmm. who are on the lookout for buyers interested in buying off their stocks. Yeah. Right. Uh, meat, fish, yam, tomatoes, cashew, plantain, and so much. We've had yeah. we've had requests from. Um, Jigawa. We've had requests from Ibadan. Mm-hmm. Basically, everywhere in Nigeria because of yeah. the fact. Because of the kind of business we run, right? The good thing about this talk is that they come at a very cheap price. Mm-hmm. And for a business owner, those margins means a lot. Yes. What would you consider as a determinant, as far as logistics is concerned, for doing business with such people? If one was in Ibadan and the other one was from Jigawa, mm-hmm. should you want to give it a try? <sighs> Okay, I'm not a logistics expert, <laughs> but from a common sense perspective, I would say that unless they were flying from Jigawa to Ibadan, the road infrastructure doesn't really support that business yeah. at the present moment. Uh, it's unfortunate because, like we said before about the loss of yield, this is a big problem for a lot of farmers because I may be growing very profitable and viable products in uh, crops in Jigawa. That would service a, a I don't know, uh, a population in a battle, but because I cannot get my produce to them, it becomes a problem. <laughs> now, if uh, as a logistics company taking that on, again, I'm not a logistics expert. <laughs> um, but if I were a logistics expert, would I really take that risk in the current climate? Probably not, unfortunately. Oh, although it does depend on the product. I wouldn't, for instance say no to yam yeah exactly or potatoes or rice um but i would certainly not be buying tomatoes from chicago if i was in a battle but you buy from you buy onions though i would buy onions (laughs) i wouldn't buy tomatoes for now right unless the logistics company had a really good infrastructure in terms of like 
transporting the tomatoes to me so that they went by the time they get to me they're still fresh and they're still firm and they haven't lost any of the you know the freshness, vibe, the freshness of the product <laughs> but you know like like i said it really does depend on the product if it's very highly perishable probably not i probably as a logistics company unless i had i was 100 percent confident in the infrastructure that i had built in place uh, i wouldn't take that on okay but for more like sturdier products like yam, potatoes, onions, um, grains, I would absolutely do it. I would only just take into consideration the um, the path to purchase, which it, which would include obviously the roads and it, the road infrastructure or trains or however <laughs> I want to get it. Or if I was really bowling, I could like take a jet or something. <laughs> but you know. Um, Again, this is a challenge for our government because opening our seaways and our airways and making it more business friendly would only just ease, the, you know, make the ease of business for this this um, initiatives a lot better. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so Eddie, I read out that um, you have um, experience in the insurance sector. <laughs> so I'm going to <laughs> so I'm going to go there real quick. Please, very quick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So what? Um, I mean, we just. While you're speaking on the fact that there's some particular food items that are really perishable, yeah, very short list, mm. right? Um, would it be advisable for insurance companies to insure crops? Mm-hmm. Is there nobody doing that now? I don't know. I'm just. I, I need your opinion. I think you're just like picking my brain. That's all. That's what exactly what I said. <laughs> Can we just send in all these brilliant ideas to you? No, it's, you know that's an ingenious idea. Again, yeah. somebody might be doing it. I suspect that they are. In fact, yeah. I know that there are a couple. Even for products that don't have so much long life lifespan. I mean, honestly, that would be a very unreasonable risk to ask any insurance. No, no, but the thing about the thing about it is there's um, some certain businesses that are into this kind of thing. Like, uh, what's the name? Chi. Yeah. I, I think they do a lot of um, chicken. Yes. So, uh, but chicken is. I wouldn't call chicken a highly perishable product if you if your cooling uh, facilities are on point. But you mentioned light, good light. Yes, exactly. But Chi probably, I don't know, I can't speak to the specifics of their business, but I am assuming <laughs> that they have the financial infrastructure to support that kind of a business at that scale. Right. That's so, what I'm assuming. Okay, so as you, okay, if not Chi, I'm sure there are other businesses too who are probably doing something like that. Yeah. They're not to Chi, we don't even know them. Yes. But they will need insurance, uh, an insurance cover. Of course, even everybody needs insurance. So if you're an insurance provider, mm-hmm. would you jump at that offer? Back in your former life, too. In my former life, I would be there marketing. Yeah, of course. 100%. No, honestly, on a serious note, yes. If I was an insurance person, I would jump on it. Because, first of all, the market is huge. Yes. Market is huge. Plus, you can never stop... Do you know how many farmers are out there be looking for for this kind of business or company? (laughs) The market is huge. So, if you're looking at the the business in terms of numbers, like reach, of Mm -hmm. course, it's viable. Risk is a completely <laughs> different story. Yeah. Now, I'm not a risk analyst, but I'm assuming that within the within the within the uh, the infrastructure of the insurance company, they will have their risk analysis units who okay. would assess those risks and put you know financial monetary um, and do the risk analysis for them essentially. <laughs> but as an insurance company, yep. it is a very viable business, and it is one that I don't even think is tapped enough. Um, would I do it? Yes. 
<laughs> That's all I have to say because now I'm just like I want to get off like this and call my partners and <laughs> be like, bro, what are we thinking? Are we sitting on a gold mine? Yeah, but no, it's um, it's quite uh, it would be quite lucrative. Okay, I hope you guys can read between the lines. I, don't, some, I mean, you're not in the studio here, but I can see interest. I can. See I don't know. Yeah, I'm not. I'm. I, just I think she wrote it down now. somewhere too. No, okay, just, you know what? After I'm just this, a uh, all right, all right. <laughs> All right. Um, I I think we've got our first question here. Who is uh, someone? Um, Charles Emuzi. Okay. Hi, is, Charles. Um, is asking, does Amazon Farms have a valid website? Okay. At the moment, no, we do not. We're actually yeah, because, you know, like I said before, when we started, our business model was very different, and right. what we were trying to cater for and who we were trying to cater for were very different. Right. Uh, but post pandemic, we're looking to reposition and re-strategize, and a lot of that also requires some rebranding. Right. Uh, so maybe within the next couple of, I mean, just watch this. Maybe space. that's the thought. Maybe. Maybe today. that's why I'm even here. Maybe I'm just here to like <laughs> shazam you guys. I don't know, but like, very good question, Charles. Thank you for actually even asking that. It just shows that you, I have piqued your interest, which is the whole idea. But yes, we are going to have a valid website that will be more specific to what we're doing now and the people that we're targeting, and our that shows a bit more about what we are post COVID. Is Amazon Farms B2B or B2C? Both. We're very dynamic as a business. 50-50? You know, we move with the... With the yeah. That's the thought, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying that, like I said before, <laughs> everything we do is modular. Right. Which means that we do not... I was speaking before this interview, I was having the same conversation with Shola, your CEO, and I had said to him, as a business, we have learned not to say this is what we do. Right. Understandable. Uh, yes, because as a business, I don't think anybody should be saying this is what they do because you don't know what you'll be doing tomorrow. The only thing that's constant is change. Okay, what what so did you do yesterday? As, as of <laughs> yesterday, we were 50-50. You know? 50, 50. You, you know? know? Okay, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so still on the insurance question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, industrial accidents happen at work every now and then again, right? Mm. Yeah, of course. Um, they're almost part of every business risk. Mm-hmm. Then again, there's also the huge cost of securing a very good insurance package for the staff. Of course, yeah. What would be your recommendation to secure a plan for them that works for the staff? Yeah. And the business? Okay, you're trying to test my insurance num- We're going there. now, like workmen's compensation. And see, yeah. Exactly. Ah, exactly. I'm sure you're proud. <laughs> That's my former MD. Josh is there going, hey, Bobette. Uh, you can probably, no. probably send out this link after this conversation. Uh, so the, anyway, um, yeah. So essentially, I would recommend, obviously, workmen's compensation is very, very important because farming and retail things like this will happen. Uh, and also for motivational purposes as well, it would be nice to have good life coverage for your, uh, for your staff, uh, as well as a package that pr- covers your goods and services against fire and theft uh, and sort of sabotage. Mm. I don't know if COVID, like the insurrection of, of COVID would have been covered by insurance, business loss. Uh-huh. It wouldn't have. But that's, it's not a natural disaster. <laughs> for Nigeria, it was a natural disaster. Was it? It was, it was as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> as well as NSARS. That would be a natural disaster. But yeah, but you know, it shows now that, because obviously we're naturally in a volatile uh, sort of environment. And yeah. now we can, we've seen that things just are moving mad. So I think it would be nice <laughs> for, uh, for an insurance company to pick it back on that and um 
for, for, for an industry such as myself, where we're so highly exposed and vulnerable, uh, we're kind of, I, th- I suppose in Nigeria, we're not seen as frontline workers, but we absolutely felt like frontline workers during the, the crisis. I think it would be nice if uh, insurance companies sort of looked at that as a possibility of, of packaging special products that covers stuff like that. So frontline workers, how can the company insure them against loss of life, death, blah, 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 stuff like that. Mm. Even kidnapping. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm still I'm still putting you there, right? Oh Let's my talk. God. I, I thought we were walking out. <laughs> sector. It's probably the last set of questions <laughs> on it, though. Okay, so let me talk in in terms of real serious, um, um, big time accidents, like fire. Uh, no, not that kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so you know, like factory workers. When okay, you so hear like a crane just falls on someone. God forbid. Oh, that kind of. In we've seen a lot of movies, right? Yeah. What can I say? <laughs> Okay, I'm talking about like, um, (laughs) (laughs) like um, a factory worker gets his hand um, chopped off, for instance. How is that more morbid than a crane? Um, Anyway, yes, in line with. Okay, well, let me ask you: What's the difference between insurance cover and HMO? Oh, okay. Because (laughs) isn't a a HMO part of an insurance cover? So my insurance cover could include a HMO coverage. So insurance cover for me covers the whole gamut, in my opinion, covers the whole gamut, which means I would be insured against like event on eventualities. Yes. But being ill is like an like an eventuality of sorts. Okay. So for me, for instance, my insurance package could consist of HMO, theft, loss, fire. Right. So HMO for me is just a, a component of insurance. It's not in itself a standalone. It's a type of insurance. Okay. Um, so yeah. So hey, if I were to provide insurance for my staff, okay. apart from life insurance and workman's compensation, HMO is an additional. Does okay. that does that answer your question? Well, fair enough. See, um, I know insurance. You're trying to test me. <laughs> okay. So still not that guy that has his hand chopped off. <laughs> So that guy that had his hand cut off. Exactly. So what would you... compensation would cover that. Secondly, obviously going into the hospital, if he required a prosthetic or like an operation, then the HMO would cover that, which means he can go into the hospital and not have any money and not be told to sit at reception until his family bring their entire life savings. So he could be seen very quickly. And then obviously the the company are already paying a premium for that. So he can just chill. Wow. Yeah. They're going to pay me for this. Now, all of a sudden, the guy doesn't... He probably should get the second hand chopped up there. (laughs) You get, and then get another workman. I don't know, right? Yeah. That's a good idea. I know, we're in sync. (laughs) (laughs) So, Charles is asking again, is Amazon Farms open to investors? No, not at the moment. Oh, you guys have money, right? No, it's not that. It's just that we're comfortable where we are for now. Okay. But should we be looking to diversify and be looking for investors? Absolutely. But not at the present moment. But it depends. I mean, I have this question asked by by people a lot. And I find that the people that ask me this are the people who slide into our DMs and Instagram. And when I ask, when I really probe, which is why I want Charles to clarify if he could, is a lot of them say, when I say, okay, what kind of investment are you looking at? And they're like, I want to buy chickens to sell so a lot of it is not like i want to make financial commitment. investment i want to make a commitment it's almost like crowdfunded they're thinking oh can i buy some chicken from you guys and uh, i don't know and put some money in and then make some money out of it that's what i have found historically from looking at dm so maybe if you give some clarification all right so charles you heard it um mm-hmm. if you could um, sh- um share some um, uh, um more light on it mm-hmm. right it will help a lot mm-hmm. um we have another question here what type of regulation should one prepare for mm-hmm. when getting into 
What kind of section? Regular. Oh. <laughs> Listen, I can't even give you a full list because every day I discover a new one. Oh, really? Yes. As of yesterday, was it like the latest one? I mean, I didn't even know that. Like, there's radio tax. And you know what, what? I find? You know what How I long find? have you been around? <laughs> Do you know what? Honestly, honestly, I, well, I was like, I don't have a radio in my store. Why would I need a radio tax? Uh, you got to pay. You need TV license. I don't oh, yeah, radio and TV. LT. Well, it's just like. You know, I, one of the things I'm most impressed about legal <laughs> is that it's the amount of parasitals we have. Oh, yeah. It's wild. Like, people be coming in full uniform and buses, branded buses, and they come with, like, Lagos State Department of Water Chlorine Sanitation <laughs> Department. And I'm like, are you a proper parasite? Well, they're like, yeah, we have a uniform and badge and a car and everything. <laughs> so I find it really, it's almost fascinating if it wasn't killing our bottom line. <laughs> I find it so fascinating the amount of parastatals and regulators and legislators that turn up every day mm. but you know so I, unfortunately i cannot give you a comprehensive list it's fine because every day they be popping <laughs> yeah all right um so another question here says from your point of view how would you rate the degree of competition in the industry uh in terms of the um, retail space for agri yes um i mean to be honest I think everybody is in their own very different market. For instance, people always say, Amazon Farms, do I feel, who is my biggest competitor? Who do I feel most threatened by? Absolutely nobody. We're our biggest competitor. And I don't say that with any level of arrogance. I say that because I really think that ours is a very unique and different proposition from the people next door. Um, and I literally mean from the people next door because we're right next door to a competitor, a so-called competitor. So, so what I mean is, like, we all offer very different, very different value propositions. Um, but in terms of the competition, it depends on where you sp you place yourself in this in, in in that space. But there's lots of supermarkets. I mean, I don't think there's any roadside that you won't find a supermarket. And for us, in fact, our competitors aren't even the big supermarkets. My competitor, if any at all, are the ladies and the gentlemen who sell fruits and vegetables by the roadside. Those cart people, because um, I'm not saying that their products are fresh because I don't know. I, have I ever bought from them? Yes. But all I'm saying is... Market research, right? Yes, of oh, course. Right. I just I need to just I, I see know, what the com how the competition <laughs> is rolling now. <laughs> but um, I don't consider the big supermarkets a competitor because we're not a supermarket. Um, but are there many supermarkets? Is it a competitive space? Absolutely. But you have to decide who your competition is. And you can only decide that by understanding who you are trying to target. But I don't think anybody should be scared of competition. Competition only just drives innovation mm -hmm. and it also drives um, adoption as well. So it's a good thing. Okay, so Charles is asking again, yeah, crowdfunding for projects with ROIs, say $50,000 to yeah. $100,000. See, I know my beans, right? And what did he say? Dollars? <laughs> 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 Bruh, see where I stopped. Did he just say dollars? No. How did you miss that? <laughs> So, you know, I live in dollar yeah. land. So these things are very, I'm just like, no. Thank <laughs> God nobody can see me because I literally, my eyes just pop. No, Charles, thank you. That's a really nice offer. <laughs> That's so funny. No, not at the moment. But I know other companies that are doing it, but Amazon Farms is not in the crowdfunding space. But I mean, it sounds very very attractive <laughs> but no that is not what we do at the moment but thank you for the question and thank you for the offer yeah, i mean <laughs> thanks. you know <laughs> i don't even know what to say <laughs> 
All right. If you were to be the next minister of agriculture for Niger- of Nigeria, uh-huh. that's too much. I mean, but go on. Sorry, land with your question. I can take it to commissioner. Do what? Commissioner. You can take it anywhere. I mean, you can take it to the president of agriculture for the world. It doesn't. My answer will still stay the same. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to be the next minister of agriculture of Nigeria, what yeah. would be your first? What would be the first three? issues or policies you would tackle within your first 60 days in office within the first 60 days of in my office ah, there are plenty oh my god first of all i would look at uh the training of actual farmer education right i think it's very key to teach them things about seed optimization to teach them things about how to effectively use manure for optimal yield to teach them how to store their products to teach them marketing skills a lot of mm. these guys don't even have marketing skills but you know um and also cross training because a lot of these local farmers have more knowledge than these like your pct farmers <laughs> so it's about using what you have to improve on what on what is on ground and then just like also further empowering those who are in the space. That would be one. Number two, I would also work very closely with uh, whoever is in charge of roads and infrastructure mm-hmm. and, because there's no point in me developing farms and farmers and yield and I have no way to get it from to the consumers. So that would be a very, very... If I, if, if that, that might even be my first. But I would be speaking very closely to the people that are lands and works. roads and works to speak to them about, you know, um, providing the right network not just by land, by air, by sea. We, I mean, if you look at Lagos State, like even Lagos State, the way we're, we're so coastal, the opportunities we're just not we're not tapping it. Of getting, if I want to get something from Abel Kuzat or I mean, my geography for Ogun State, <laughs> but if I wanted to get something from the hinter hinterlands of Ogun State to Lagos State, and there's water like that can make it like a straight line, wouldn't that be a lot easier if the infrastructure were in place? So yeah, I would be speaking very closely to to that person, and then I was I'll be doing a lot of youth education. I think farming has become unsexy, um, and I don't know why. Because I mean, it's the most interesting uh, field that I have been in. It's the one that I have felt that could make the most impact on the average person's life, and it's also the one that I feel that with the most effort you could get the maximum yield. And I think that it's not been promoted as. Uh, it's just not being promoted as a viable business for people like be outside of sort of the rural areas. But there's nothing stopping like even a son of mine from going to study agriculture in university and then coming back and like implementing what he's learned. So I would spend a lot of money doing a lot of um, exposures and education, telling people about agriculture and just trying to attract more people and investors in. Um, how many things did you ask me to do? So it was three, my first three things. A bit more? No, there's a lot. I mean, we could be here all day. Oh, okay. But those would be my main, main steeds. Okay. So we have another question here. We say, for those who are out there looking to set up a business Mm -hmm. within the sector, what advice would you have for them? To set up in agriculture? Um, I think so. Um, Do your research. Um, Do a lot of research. I think you can't... Knowledge is power. Data is key. And you can't just also have data and you don't instrument the data. So... I, I mean, I'll give you a classic example. I have a lot of people all the time say to me, I want to set up a farm. Mm-hmm. It's such an ambiguous thing to say. <laughs> what do you want to set up? Oh, I have some land in Ikurudu. And enough. I want to set up a farm. <laughs> and then you're like, have you done, what's the topography of the area? You don't know the topography of the area. What's the water like in the area? 
you don't know that. What's the light like? You don't know. So first of all, I already know you can't do chickens. Because if you don't have light, you don't have water. You're not <laughs> And then I also know that full crops may be a no-no because if you don't have water, you don't have irrigation. Sure. So it's little things like that. A lot of people want to go into farming in the rural areas. And a lot of people have an interest in farming. But I think farming is so broad that you farming is not just plowing the land. There's so many other aspects. The value chain is very vast and very interesting. So look at what, you know, try and look at the value chain of maybe fish or snails. So you don't also, you don't have to farm your, your snails as well as process. And so you can pick what part of the value chain is most effective and efficient for you and do your research and do that. But there is a, a load of opportunities. There's a load of scope. Uh, I would absolutely encourage anybody to go into farming. Whatever part of the chain you find yourself in, you give it 100%, it, uh, you will get the yield. Farming is not a passive um, profession. You have to do it with your full chest. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but absolutely do it. Yeah. It is so, the, the rewards are uh, not just gratifying, but financially um good <laughs> yeah what's your take on um farmers being soft target for civil unrest yeah i know that's terrible i don't uh, how do i feel about it i'm very against it of course <laughs> um no i mean i don't know we're just a, i mean it's very sad it's very sad that people would just like invade your farm and cut away with not just your 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 livestock but with you yourself and then ask your family to pay a huge ransom um and then they could just keep getting caught up in like all sorts of like domestic like volatile situations i think it's again it's a security issue that i think the government in their good um you know wisdom should look look into because these are people like i said before we're providing an essential service to the country and i think if it, we, should, we deserve the protection or the the, the subsidized farmer deserves the protection of the state because if people are too scared to go to the farm and to go about their business and everybody you know it's just the ripple effect would be felt across the nation right. yeah so okay the ban of importation i mean this is the final question do yay oh. okay go on all right okay <laughs> um the ban on the importation of foods to nigeria what is your take on it as a local producer i'm saying my take on it is there must be it but local producers are not sufficient enough to why do you food. say that they're not sufficient enough they're just not empowered enough w- is it, so is it, a, is it a question of empowerment or they're not but the reason why i ask so mm. is because after the ban mm-hmm. um there were i mean prices of food skyrocketed it did mm-hmm. But that's also just part of the panic. Is it? I, I believe so. See, yeah, I, I'm, 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 I'm not a draconian by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. I'm not. A, I'm against any ban, any kind of state-imposed restriction of people's rights to do business. Um, but if someone told me today that there will be no, I see. There, there is a there is a Nigerian factor in all of this. All right. To be honest with you, we're very <laughs> we like money. Yes. So if somebody says today you can no longer import, I don't know, you can no longer import 
I mean, imagine if Ribena was the only soft drink in the world. You can no longer import Ribena, and I make Zobo. Of course, I'd increase the price of my Zobo. Oh, really? Because you're like, okay, now, should we be rolling for Ribena? Come and drink Zobo now. <laughs> you pay more. So there is that. There right. is that. There is that factor. But I don't think it's a sustainable mindset. Mm-hmm. I think by the time people then realize that only Zobo is available and it is now readily available by more and more people, the prices will crash. So with any change, there will be the flutter. Of course, when you ban stuff and the local stuff now get, you know, take forefront, they will try and recoup all the losses they've made from the years before. But it is unsustainable because if all of a sudden only four producers are making this and then increase the prices, more and more people will look to to produce it and that will spread and that will bring the prices down. And at some point it will just even out. So the problem with Nigeria, it's not even a problem, it's a challenge, is that sometimes when things go rough, we... We, we see it as an indication to stop. So the prices have gone up and then people are like, oh, prices have gone up and then they, they, they say, okay, oh, I fine. And they change the rules again. But if we can just rough it mm. and go, because other countries, other civilized countries, other, you know, and not saying that we're not because we're completely utterly civilized, but in other similar situations or other countries similar to us where they've had to go through a process of change, change is uncomfortable. But after the change comes the, the renewal and so i think if people can just like push through that initial okay things are going to be expensive it'll change and you know again like i said i'm not a proponent for banning anything Mm -hmm. or anybody's free trade i'm just that's not the way that i'm I'm wired but yeah i think that's all i have (laughs) to say about that (laughs) (laughs) all right Mm -hmm. um let me check if there's okay i think that's all do you have any questions do you is any last word you'd like to say no i'm just very happy that a platform such as this exists uh and as i was saying to you before the interview is that a lot of these things will be tech driven um a lot of these solutions will have to have technological push and i think that a lot of these conversations also are not new they're not innovative but with with a need will come adoption so the need to look at our infrastructure the need to look at our logistics the need to look at our you know uh, table um, farm to table structures <clears throat> they need to look at our the the production of local produce um these are conversations that have always been out there but 2020 has shown us that when there is a need not only will those conversations come up again but there will be huge adoption for them um with the uh, deliveries that we're doing now again it wasn't a new it's not a new thing there is we didn't invent the wheel I know we were seen as being at the forefront of food delivery because at the time of the pandemic, we were at the forefront of it and we're very proud of it, but we didn't invent it. It is something that has always been there and the possibility to do it was always there, but we didn't adopt it because we didn't see the need. And um, it's the same with any consumer journey from uh, walking into a store, deciding whether you want to take a product or not. This for me is um, something that I think people should be looking at in the tech world. Like when you do the actual physical store shop, you go there, you touch a product, touch another, touch another. But by the time you get to the till, you only buy one thing. Nobody's capturing that information of what was left behind. Nobody's capturing the, the information at the point of conversion of the sale. And these are in, these are pieces of information, if they are well instrumented, can be used to address 
drive technology into the retail sector, especially into the farming sector as well, because if four people come into the store and lift a cucumber and drop it and go for a watermelon instead, this is market intelligence. So for a cucumber farmer who is able to pivot into uh, watermelons, this is information you can pass on. But all of this information can only be driven by technology. And I think that the barriers for entry into for technology into the retail space is pricing because of a lot of these tech companies are pricing their products at millions and millions. Nobody is going to adopt them. So I think for the tech companies, you need to be looking, and I know that you guys are a tech mm-hmm. of some sort, is you guys need to be looking at how you price yourself into these spaces. Because if you came up with technology that would give me the market information that I could instrument and pass on to, to farmers who can then use as intelligence as to what they're producing and it, I can, it helps me with my inventory management as well, then it works and then you can scale up. But I think at the point of entry, everyone's always trying to recoup the cost of their intellectual inf- property from their first customer. So you approach me and you're telling me that it's going to cost me five billion naira. Of course, I'm not going to adopt mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. But the fact is, if you come at a reasonable price, there will be adoption. And with that adoption, also, there could be innovation and tweaks and changes that make, puts you in a better position. And you can actually use that information to develop other products. So I think uh, within the retail space, especially within the food retail space, in the coming years, there has to be a lot of synergy with tech companies because the potential is huge, especially as people are moving from, say, square inches in, in their stores. A lot of comp- a lot of food uh, organizations like retailers are shrinking their floor space and using their spaces more purposefully and looking more to fulfillment centers or like deliveries, logistics, as it were. So looking at other ways of fulfilling their customers rather than actually having physical locations. So yeah, I think that's all I wanted to add to this was the need for tech to really drive the change in the retail space going forward, especially in the agri space. Mm. That's it for me. Since you mentioned it, do you see a possible time when Amazon Fresh would approach Amazon Farms? Who's Amazon Fresh? Me. What? Did you say Amazon Fresh? Yes. I don't know who Amazon Fresh is or is that Amazon Farm. It's one big company like that. Oh, them. Yeah, those guys. So I wasn't being a snob, but I absolutely just... Or is it? No, I actually know them. Sorry. Okay. Like, yeah. they would approach us and, and be like, let's synergize. Yeah, exactly. We're very open to synergy and conversations at Amazon Farms. We're not... We don't believe that we can operate in a silo. And I think the, the 2020 has shown us that. And has shown that we are <laughs> proactively doing that. Because if we were not open to conversations and um, collaboration... We wouldn't have been able to ride the pandemic the way that we did. We, there was absolutely no way we could have done it. So, yeah. I mean, if they want to approach us, why not? I mean, same name, right? Hmm? Same name. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> They'll change their name now. It's not a problem. I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you once more for your time. No, Ms. thank you so much for having me. This has been really fun. <laughs> It's been an amazing um, experience listening and conversing with you. Um, Thank you. This has been AgriCradio, Radio, a podcast program that is passionate about enlightening, educating, and impacting knowledge to agronomists and everyone involved in the agriculture value chain. It is an initiative of Farm Crowdy in Lagos, Nigeria, that is aimed at discussing topics around agriculture and factors within its ecosystem. Um, also, um, this is, has been done in partnership with um, AgriSquare, Mm-hmm. AgriSquare is the largest community of farmers in Africa. It's a platform with over 25,000 active users who play a part in the agriculture value chain. 
Um, simply look out for more content such as this on Anchor, Spotify, and every other audio digital platform. You can also check out related content on our website, www.agricradio.com. We're also um, active across all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and um, yep, that's it. So simply follow us and never miss out on any rich content going forward. Um, my name is Babaji Dearoyo. And yeah, it's been talk session with Miss Bobby Odosin. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much. All right. You you, you are now to 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 radio. radio. Let's talk family.